I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is Computer Talk with Tab, hosted by Eric Semmel of Tab Computer Systems. Interact with Eric and his guest by phone at 522-WTIC or 1-800-966-WTIC. Email them in the studio at gethelpattabinc.com or get help anytime at computertalkwithtab.com. Now, here's Eric. And good morning. This is Computer Talk with Tab. I'm Eric. Bob is off today again. He's having the uh, couple of weeks off here. It's good for him. I'll be flying solo. Feel free to get online, 800-966-WTIC, 522-WTIC. Did you get anything cool technology-wise for uh, the holidays, for Christmas? Uh, definitely uh, happy to chat with you about some of the fun and configuring them. Uh, as you know, uh, Ring Doorbell made the news where they had these creeps actually connecting into the uh, into folks' homes and actually talking to kids and talking to people through the Ring Doorbell. And... Uh, now there's a guy suing Amazon. And no, it's not Blumenthal. <laughs> You'd think he would do it because it's right up his alley. But, of course, Bezos owns the Washington Post, so he probably won't go after that. Let's go on to what's happening here. There's a, there's a guy in Alabama who wants to file a class action lawsuit, John Orange. And he's accusing Ring, uh, Amazon and Ring of failing to do enough to secure their, to secure their security systems. There's kind of an ironic line. And of course, John or- this uh, John Orange fellow um, says he's he had a stranger compromised his Ring doorbell and uh, spooked his kids, and um, it's a direct and proximate result of the company's inability to protect its devices against cyber attack. So here's here's the thing, guys: if you configure your Ring doorbell with a password or password, or if you use um, only one-factor authentication on your pa- on your account. Or you use the same password elsewhere, it, the problem's on you, right? Now, yes, Ring and Amazon, big multi-billion-dollar companies. If they actually required you to have multi-factor authentication configured, your Ring would not work because you wouldn't configure it properly. You'd have trouble, is what they're assuming. They're thinking you're not smart enough to configure the uh, two-factor authentication uh, on your on your device, so they don't mandate it, and. Now they're now this guy is saying it's it's Ring's fault for not properly securing the technology when of course he used a password that was very hackable. Hackable meaning it was used somewhere else where where John Orange, let's say John Orange's email address was jorange at gmail dot com and he was already part of a let's say a breach where they found his his email address and his password already leaked out there. And his password of course is, you know, orange is the new black, let's say. That's his password, and of course he uses that out there on the on the on the interwebs, and then he sets up his ring can, his ring doorbell, and he uses the same password. It's not even hacking at that point. It's just the bad guys listening. Oh, there's John Orange. Oh, there's his password. His orange is the new black. I'm gonna go ahead and see what he's got on his ring, and he's blaming Amazon. You can't. You can't really do that. However, I do kind of contend. I do kind of agree that these companies these days really need to force the two-factor authentication and the more difficult passwords um, so that folks 
don't have this happen to them. It's pretty embarrassing, right, to have your security camera used by the bad guys um, and have them actually talk to your kids, um, which is designed. Part of the design is the ability to interface with the guy dropping off the package or the bad guy trying to break into your house where you can say, hey, you, and no matter where you are in the world, um, in this case, the bad guys are doing it. So we'll see what happens to this class action lawsuit. I predict it's not going to go anywhere because it really is on you to lock your door and configure these basic settings. That if, if they actually made you do it, I think Amazon and Ring are contending they probably wouldn't have a lot of users using the system because they think you wouldn't set it up properly. Um, true or not, it is one of those things. One of the things I got for Christmas was a Next garage door, N-E-X-X. I shouldn't say Next. It's X, N-E-X-X. It's an automatic garage door opener. One of my biggest problems was knowing whether or not my kids left the garage door open when they left. You know, I got kids coming and going. These are, you know, teenage up to 22 years old. Well, he's finally out of the house. Uh, these guys are coming and going through the garage, and you never know if they close the garage door. So you, I would find myself waking up at, like, you know, 1 in the morning thing. Hey, is the garage door wide open? I don't know if you do that, but I do. And uh, now with this device, this NEXX Garage uh, smart home automation here from, from Next. You can actually know whether or not your garage door is open or closed. And it's simple as heck to configure. It's basically a little box with an antenna on it that connects to your wireless network in your home and a little wireless sensor that knows whether it's vertical or horizontal, depending on whether the garage door is open or closed. And you can open the garage door from anywhere in the world, of course, so make sure you password protect it. <laughs> Uh, with two-factor authentication, make sure it's difficult. Don't let the bad guys get into your garage door from uh, Kazakhstan. The point, though, is that you'll know exactly whether or not your garage door is open. You can, and you can just sit there, put it on any app, whether it be a, any, any device, whether it be an Android or Apple device, and you can actually take a look at the app. It'll tell you if it's green for closed, red for open, and you can push a button and close it. And uh, I don't know. It's the little things in life that make you happy. In this case, I find myself getting up every now and again trying to figure out whether or not my garage doors are open. Now you know if they are or not. And, of course, if you need deliveries, right, you can actually open the garage door from wherever you'd like. So instead of having folks drop things in front of, in front of your garage, you can open the door, <coughs> Excuse me, which is pretty cool. So definitely check it out. We'll put a link out over at Computer Talk with Tab uh, just so you guys can take a look at what it's all about. And um, there's a couple different flavors. You have to see if your garage door is compatible. Mine was a, like a 20-year-old garage door opener, and it worked fine. Um, because it really just has to, to cover two connections on a garage door. It just has to open or close them. It's really pretty simple as far as electronics go. So I, most of these garage door openers, I think, are going to be uh, compatible with it. So we're going to be here till 11 o'clock. Uh, feel free to get online this morning, uh, 800-966-WTIC, 522-WTIC. I'm flying solo, so feel free to get online. We'll talk about whatever you'd like with, with, with regard to technology. Um, Obviously, the first part of the, uh, the hour is usually light. Then by 10 o'clock, you guys are jamming the phones. So make it easier on me and give me a ring this morning. Another one real quick uh, article I do want to bring up. A uh, contractor admits to planting logic bombs in his software to, to ensure he'd get new work. So when it comes to IT, right, the IT guys are always worried about them getting people getting replaced, right? And this guy uh, worries that his skills are going to become obsolete. So what does he do? He, this guy, David Tindley, 62, from uh, Harrison uh, City, Pennsylvania, he was sentenced to six year, six months sorry, in prison and a fine of 7500 bucks. And what he was doing, he was working for Siemens, and he had some, tool, some software tool that he would let the folks at Siemens use, these managers at Siemens, 
use to configure or come up with some sort of uh, calculation. And anytime the calculation didn't work out, of course, the folks at Siemens would call him. Now, he would plant logic bombs inside the software to produce the false calculations or the miscalculations. And, of course, he's the only one that could fix them. And he was doing this from the year 2014 to the year 2016. They finally sentenced him. And uh, it looks like, as far as losses, this is a big number. $42 million. Oh, sorry, $42,000. Sorry. As much as 10 years in prison and a quarter million dollar fine is what he actually faced. But they only hit him for six months and $7,500 scheme. But he faced $42,000 in fines and and a, a potential 10 years in prison. So if you're out there in the IT world and you're actually damaging your customer's software so that they can pay you to fix it, look out. <laughs> you could find yourself in the who's cow. We're going to sip out for a quick break. Feel free to get online at 966-WTIC-522-WTIC. This is Computer Talk. We'll be right back. We are back. This is Computer Talk with Tab. I'm Eric. I'm flying solo today. Feel free to get online, 800-966-WTIC, 522-WTIC. I think you're all still sleeping. I don't blame you. It's the holidays. You figured this would be, you know, I'd be off doing my thing. But no, I'm here. Drag myself in the studio to help you out with your computer problems, comments, questions, and concerns. So feel free to get online. How do you guys like online shopping? As a guy, I hate shopping, period. I don't know about you, Matt, but I do. And uh, the thing about shopping, though, is when I want to buy something, I want to go ahead and get it. Now, you can't anymore. The local stores don't have anything anymore. And it's getting ridiculous to go on. When you have to, to, if you want to get something, you do your research. Nobody's got anything local. So now you're stuck with these online providers, and you never know if the stuff that you're going to get is like uh, counterfeit or is it real. And you got to rely on the comments of strangers. And, the, and you have to rely on the site telling you it's a certified purchase. So you're spending all this time online trying to figure out what to get, trying to figure out if it's legit, trying to figure out why an item that's normally $200 from the manufacturer is 50 bucks from this from Amazon, let's say, and you don't know if it's real or fake. I'm not sure that we're making improvements here when it comes to, to uh, capitalism. The idea of capitalism is something we all love. But the point is it should be real easy to know whether or not you're getting junk or not. And it seems there was so much stuff on Amazon these days. And of course, I I would shop anywhere, you know, anywhere you'd like. But to go online shopping and to and to look at these products and say, okay, here's the actual part number. Why is that part number fifty bucks here and two hundred bucks there from the manufacturer? It didn't just fall off a truck, um, and now is just sitting there, you know, at a discount. Unless it did fall off a truck and they're selling it for because it fell off a truck, you know. I don't know. It just seems it seems more difficult these days to actually know if you're getting quality or if you're even getting the the product you want um, online, and uh, then you got to wait for it, right? We ordered a, a, an item. I ordered a second garage door opener because I liked the first one so much. Amazon said it would get there the same day if I ordered it within 42 minutes. Well, it didn't show up the same day, and then it didn't show up the next day. It's supposed to show up today. <laughs> I know they're busy, but this is their job. Um, feel free to get online, 800-966-WTIC-522-WTIC. Going to Frank and Winstead. Frank, what's happening? Hey, Eric. Hey. hey. Well, I got my S mode off, and I got my printer hooked up. Hey, good for you. Yeah, got that. But I got one other problem. Yeah. When I sign in, yeah. And what comes up on the screen is McAfee, and it's downloading. Uh huh. And I don't want that, so I went. I uninstalled it. Yeah. 
it still comes up only when my, I, I boot up. And it's still, this has been over the this past week. And the only way I get rid of it is I go down into the tray, yeah. I um, right-click, and then I get it out of there. Right. It's only temporary. You're stuck in an install loop of some kind. You think it's looking for S mode? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you got you, you got out of S mode so you can get stuff you know, from other folks now. But um, well, I, I, I do. I have, uh, they gave it to me. It's yeah. a Trend Micro. Okay. Is that good? Yeah. yeah. Well, for, for now I got it is. That and I got Norton and. Uh, you, you, know. you get both of them running, Frank? Yeah. Norton Antivirus and Trend Micro? Yeah, That's... Trend Micro and uh, Trend Micro PayGuard. Yikes. You get a lot of stuff running, and now you, you get watch? McAfee trying to. Yeah, it's going right. to slow everything down. You should pick pick your poison. Yeah, okay, I'll do that. Well, <clears throat> I don't know how to solve that. Only when I boot up. <clears throat> yep. Well, we got we got to get user removal tool. Obviously, you're stuck in a boot loop of some kind here, and there's an uninstaller that we can uh, link over at Computer Talk for you that should allow you to run the uninstaller to to rip McAfee out of there for you. Okay, that's really the best way to do it. Um, and don't run multiple antiviruses; just pick one. Pick Norton, pick Trend, whichever one. Did yeah. you pay for either of them, or are they both free? Yeah. Okay. Uh, are they both free, Frank, or did you pay for either of them? No, they're both free. Okay. Well, don't don't run both of them. Such a deal. <laughs> Too much right, medicine Bob. is not always a good thing, all right? Yes, sir. Thank you very much. You're, you're, I appreciate it. You're welcome, Frank. Good yeah. luck. Bye. All right, so he's going to try to get rid of his McAfee with an uninstaller, which is pretty popular. These these programs these days, um, you just can't simply uninstall them. You have to go through an uninstaller program. So it's just, which, just, it's just what you got to do uh, as part of the uh, the process. So feel free to get online under 966-WTIC-522-WTIC. And uh, I'll do my best to help you out with your computer problems, comments, questions, and concerns. I see Matt's taking a call right now. Um, ransomware is a big problem these days. And uh, I just saw another uh, note from Brian Krebs talking about a, ca- a California business that provides cloud hosting and IT management services to more than 1,000 customers just recently suffered a ransomware attack this week that has disrupted operations of many of its clients, according to sources. The company has reportedly paid a ransom um, so that it would get things back up and running. But generally paying the ransom still doesn't mean you're in the clear. It means you probably have some bad stuff on your computers. And uh, now they're going to have to go through the process of trying to kill whatever is on their machines or whatever the bad guys uh, placed on there. Because just paying the ransom is not going to mean everything is clear. And, of course, there's an ironic post that they had on there, Jingle Bells, Phishing Smells, Hackers Go Away. This is the, the company that got hit with the ransomware attack. Um, of course, they probably were hit with a phishing scheme themselves. Phishing is the primary way the bad guys are going to load ransom software on your, on your um, business machines, on your home computers, or even on your, your um, government machines. Because they're going to send an email with a payload attached to it that is something they're going to get you to click on, whether it be that attachment, that link. And um, if you click on it, it's going to load the payload on the machine. And either it's going to delay encrypting everything or it's going to give them an in to your business or to your computer. So you need to be vigilant and not click on email these days, period. And the problem is a lot of the big companies out there still condition us to click on things, whether it's you know Amazon, your bank, your credit card. Hey, click on this for your 5% discount. No, stop doing that. Stop trying to get us to click on things in email. 
Um, the more you do that, the more you open it for the ransomware folks to deliver the, ma- the malware to your, your computer. Um, so try to be vigilant in our business at Tab. When we support our client base, you know we support hundreds and hundreds of small businesses. We have what's called security awareness training, and through security awareness training, we can actually train your people on a regular basis. So what we try to do is trick them into clicking. Right. So you first go through training, trying to show them the examples of how the these phishing schemes work. We then send regular emails to them. Um, so that they are then try, you know, we try to fool them into clicking on things, and believe it or not, some of the top people at the comp- at the companies tend to be the clickers. Don't know why their their guard is down, but you would think you know it, it could be anybody. In this case, sometimes it's the smartest folks that are tricked by these these schemes because some of these schemes are really devious. And if you continue to you know run these these trainings on a regular basis, month after month after month after month, you will reduce the likelihood that your folks will let uh, malware into your network. Most folks, most companies um, also use mail security, whether it be uh, email security where the attachments are scanned, the links are scanned. All of our customers use that as well. The problem is 10 to 15% still kind of get through, right? These, these emails are designed to trick people and get through the mail scanners. And you need your last line of defense in your company to be the folks who work there thinking about not clicking on everything that comes at them. Usually it's, hey, you've got an invoice, or hey, you've got a, a shipment coming, or hey, it's the IT department telling you to click here and put in your new password. They're not going to use email, guys. They're not going to do it. So security awareness training is a big aspect of NIST, which is um, something that our aerospace manufacturing clients have to deal with uh, when they're building F-35 parts, right? You know, you don't want the Chinese looking at your F-35 component. So NIST 800-171 is a security compliance that allows the government folks, the Primes, the Pratt & Whitney's, the Lockheed Martins, the Sikorsky's of the world, to know that their sub, uh, their subs are going to actually use good security practices when dealing with these components. And security awareness training that I just described is an aspect of, of NIST so that your, your organization is at least thinking security rather than um, just hoping uh, they're not going to get hit with a phishing scheme because these phishing schemes are out are just broadcast constantly, right? The bad guys can email it very easily. So be aware. I'll put a link up to security awareness training, and uh, you can get a little more information on that. I'm here till eleven o'clock, guys. I know it's a uh, it's one of those weekends <laughs> when you guys are all sleeping in. I think, but I drag my hiney in here. I need you guys to give me a ring if you have any issues on your IT problems, whether it be business or personal, 800-966-WTIC, 522-WTIC. Everything we talk about today is posted live over at computertalkwithtab.com. It's the name of the show.com, which also works. And if you like us on Facebook over at Tab Computer Systems and Mark Zuckerberg deems the news worthy, it just might get into your news feed. We'll be right back. And good morning. This is Computer Talk with Tab. I'm Eric. Bob is off today. Feel free to get online, 800-966-WTIC-522-WTIC. I know it's a little light this morning because you guys are all sleeping in, <laughs> which maybe is what I should have done. 
You know those days you say to yourself, I should have stood in bed? Eh, maybe that's what I should have done. Feel free to get online, help you out with your computer problems, comments, questions, and concerns. Um, are you guys concerned about this? Russia has got their own cyber wall. Now, they've been talking about this for months, and they just recently tested the ability to disconnect the entire country from the Internet. And uh, they say it's to avoid a cyber attack. And, uh, heck, when the Internet was kind of young, TJ and I used to have these discussions, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, about how America would protect itself in the event of a cyber attack. And back then, there was like six or 12 specific firewalls out there that we understood connected America to the Internet. Nowadays, we're all, there's so many you know, connections. I don't know that America could ever disconnect from the Internet if, in the event of a cyber attack. But Russia seems to think they can, and they're using, I guess, DNS technology to do it. Um, we'll see. We'll see if it's something that's out there. Uh, they're calling it a sovereign Internet. Um, but it does seem like a thought, you know. The ability to at least pull the plug should you need to does sound a little dystopian, I know. Uh, what do you think about that? Let's get to your calls, though. We're going to go to Barbara in Plainville. What's happening, Barbara? Hi, good morning. morning. I'm sure you've uh, you've approached this subject before, but I have Windows 7, and mm -hmm. I need to upgrade to Windows 10. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I have a desktop. I don't know if I should buy a new tower. Should I upload a CD, or should I buy a CD? Right. Um, I know I have to back up all my files before I do that, but yes. I don't know the right approach. How old is the computer? Let's start with how old it is first. How old? It's maybe um, four years old. Okay, so it's got some more life left. That's good mm -hmm. news. Um, is it running 8 gigs of RAM, 4 gigs of RAM? Is it a 64-bit OS, do you know? Oh, I don't know. Okay, well, being four years old, I'm guessing it's running Windows 7 64-bit. You can check that by going to Control Panel and then going to System, and it'll tell you if it's Windows 7 64. And uh, if it is running that, it's worth upgrading. And it's not too difficult to do. Obviously, save your data, like you're saying. Uh, but you can go ahead and purchase a Windows 10 operating system. It'll cost you about 180 maybe $190. And it's not an upgrade disk, per se, but an upgrade will occur. And you should be able to install that disk on your existing machine and bring it up to Windows 10 rather okay. easily. Okay. So if I when I go into the control panel on the system and it says... Windows 64? Windows 7, 64-bit, yep. Windows 7, 64-bit. Okay, yeah. then it's worth upgrading. Okay. Yep. I, bet you, right. I bet you it is. I mean, four, four years old, it's probably running at least 8 gigs of RAM, I'm hoping. And, okay. And it's going to be worth doing based on the age and based on that basic information. And it's, it's straightforward. But, yes, back up your data just in case that things go poorly. Okay. Um, even if they do go poorly, you can still take that Windows 10 operating system and start fresh, wipe and reload the whole thing if you ever had to. But you shouldn't have to. It should, okay. it should upgrade the machine for you. Okay. And I can buy that at any big box store? You should be able to, yes. Yep. Okay. I'm guessing you have a home edition operating system. And you can get a Windows 10 home 64-bit um, version or you can get a Windows 10 Pro. If your machine is a Pro... Windows 7 Pro, go upgrade to Pro. If it's if it's mm -hmm. home, and you're going to upgrade to home. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, good luck, Barb. Thanks. All right, bye-bye. Definitely worth doing. A four-year-old machine still has a couple more years left of life. May as well upgrade it while you're at it. Let's go to Sandy in Southington. What's going on, Sandy? Hi. I kind of have a similar question. I have no idea how old our computer is. I, I think it's older than four years old. 
And I know I've heard you say eventually Windows 7 will, like, just disappear or blow up or... No, never would I have ever said that. It'll still... No, no, no. no. So it won't disappear. It won't blow up. Microsoft would like you to think it would. But but what's going to happen is they're going to stop updating the security on the the, uh, machine on January 14th. However, they just recently announced that they will continue to up, uh, update Windows Defender. So if you're running their antivirus on the Windows 7 computer, they're going to keep updating it past that period. Okay? okay. That's going to extend the life a little bit. Okay. And the other thing we get pop-ups of that says something about your dr- and I'm not a I'm not a computer person. Mm-hmm. I it's okay. do what I need to do and that's about it. But it pops up something about your drivers. You know, do you want to upgrade your drivers? And I, I just say, no thanks, but I'm wondering what does that all mean? So uh, up, updating drivers on the operating system is designed to, quote-unquote, improve things. So there might be a new video driver out for that, that video card on your Windows 7 computer that they, the manufacturer, think will improve things. Now, when you go upgrade to Windows 10, all those drivers are moot anyways. Okay. Because you'll need Windows right. 10 drivers. So the, the question, though, is, Sandy, try to figure out how old that machine is. If it's five okay. years old or older, you should replace the computer. If it's four okay. years and under, you can upgrade it. Now, is there any way when you go into the control panel you can find out how old the computer is? Generally, no. Um, if you have a manufacturer, though, if, you have the, if, you, if it's an HP or a Dell, if you have the actual serial number or the uh, service tag number, you can go to, in the case of Dell, support.dell.com and put in the service tag, okay. and it'll tell you how yeah. old it is right there. All right. Well, I appreciate that, and I tell you, I do enjoy your show, and you do, touch, you do make help a lot of people, and Happy New Year to you. You too, Sandy. Thank you for listening. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, yeah, the key, the key here for Windows 7 to Windows 10 is no, the machine's not going to blow up. It's not going to stop working, no matter how much Microsoft is going to try to scare you into upgrading. Um, you should consider upgrading. It's different for, for the home user as it is for the business user. We actually picked up a financial planner client um, who was going to get an audit by the SEC. So what does he do? He hires us to come in there and put our security tools in just before the SEC comes in to do his audit so that we can tell him, oh, he's got this security, he's got that security, he's doing all these great things, and then he fire, lets, well, fires us uh, so that he doesn't have to pay for those security tools anymore. So you got to think about who you're working with in the, in the business world because you know if, you, if your doctor, if your accountant, if your lawyer is not upgrading the security on their computers, do you want your stuff on their machines? Are they taking care of your data? Are they taking care of you as a customer? Um, it's pretty amazing out there. So if you're in the business world and you're running a seven-year-old Windows 7 computer and you're not planning on upgrading it, that's kind of shame on you. Uh, I understand Microsoft is doing this kind of arbitrarily as far as you would think, saying, look, we're no longer going to support this old operating system. But that's neither here nor there. If they don't support it and the security patches no longer come down, your customers and you are at risk um, of being impacted by some sort of malicious event because you haven't filled a hole. Now, with Microsoft, if you listen to the show for the past 25 years, they're full of holes. They're constantly patching problems, right? They're going to stop filling these holes and January 14th for uh, the Windows 7 operating system. So the bad guys will be aware of the new holes that, they, that, that, we, that we may not be aware of now. Microsoft is not going to patch them, and you're now at risk. I'm not sure if it's worth whatever savings you're going to have by not upgrading versus the, the costs you might occur, that might occur on you if you don't upgrade. So it's, you know, 
It's your only your customer's data and your business that you have to pay attention to. For home users, it's a little different, right? I mean, you guys can maybe risk it a little longer, delay it a little bit longer. Um, it's up to you. Um, you're not you're not launching the space shuttle on your computer. However, if you're using your machine for banking or what have you, anything where there's data on there that you'd be worried about if the bad guys got a hold of it, you should upgrade, right? Um, that way, any malicious attempt, attempts on Windows 7 that have not been patched can be dealt with with Windows 10 because you've done the updates. So we're going to step out for a quick break here, guys. Four lines open for you on this lovely Saturday morning. I know you're all sleeping. Trust me, I understand. 800-966-WTIC-522. There the phones are ringing. 522-WTIC. I'm going to be here till 11 o'clock. And then Dr. Les will be in with Healthy Rounds, and he'll give you a second opinion on your health advice. Stick around. We'll be right back. And we are back. This is Computer Talk with Tab. I'm Eric. I'm here until 11 o'clock. And your eyes are all waking up. Now the phones are going cuckoo. So uh, thank you for joining me on this Saturday morning. Otherwise, I'm just talking about my kids by myself. That would be really, really boring radio. Let's go on to Sherry in West Hartford. Hey, Sherry, what's up? Oh, hi. Thanks for taking the call. Of course. Um, I'm sort of in the same situation that several other callers are in. I've got a Dell computer running Windows 7. Yep. Mine is actually Intel i5-240, okay. four gigabytes. Okay. I love this because it's got Picasa on my hard drive, and mm. I really like Picasa. Yeah. Uh, and I don't really want to lose it, but mm-hmm. I understand that I'm going to have to upgrade. Yep. Um, okay. Right now it's a Dell, and I have a laptop HP, which I love, but do you think you still need um, a desktop? Only if you think you need it, right? So it's all up to you, uh, Sherry, as far as your usage. A desktop is one that's going to last you a lot longer, especially if you're not mobile with it anyways. Right. Um, it's going to sit there and be protected, and I would t- contend to give you anywhere from six to eight years of service. Okay. A laptop, you drop it a few times, all of a sudden you're buying a new one. Okay. So, And right now I'm, I have a Dell laptop, I mean a Dell uh, desktop. Yep. Do you have um, recommendations for what type of um, machine? desktop? Yeah. Your basic minimums would be an i5 like you had. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be an 8th or ninth gen processor. Make sure it's probably a ninth gen processor these days. Okay. Um, 8 gigs of RAM or better. 8 gigs, yeah. Solid state drive. If you can afford a solid state, that'd be nice to have mm-hmm. that in there. Otherwise, get a hybrid drive, which has some solid state characteristics. Mm-hmm. And Windows 10. Those are your basics um, for a basic home machine that should give you another 6 to 8 years of service. Or Adele would be. Yeah, whatever brand you're comfortable with, you've got both in your home, so you can do, do either one. Right. Um, Let me ask you something because, really, one of the reasons, one of the big reasons I'm holding on to this Windows 7 is because of that Picasso. Yeah. We have all of our pictures, and I have sent some of them over to iGoogle or Google Photos, which yeah. I really don't like. Okay. It's, I don't like the system. And yeah. I, it's arranged so much better on Picasso. There's no reason, there's no way that they would. Bring back Picasso, right? Uh, uh, no, I don't think so. They when they say that it's it's dead, it's dead. So oh. they're they're done with Picasso for whatever reason. I have no idea why they killed it. Yeah, it's a great and there's no way I can save that. It's on the hard drive. I can't move it anywhere. You can't. You have to reinstall it on the new Windows 10. Um, un- unless I mean, you could technically, but it's more pain than I could have described for you. You'd have to spin up a virtual Windows 7 system and have it sit on the Windows 10 machine for that to work, which is a lot more trouble than it's worth. Okay. So there's no way I'm going to be able to do that. Nope. You're going to have to go to some other picture management software. And be careful putting your stuff out there on the Google Cloud. They're going to start charging for how much is out there as well. 
Yeah. And do you recommend any other type, of, like a Picasa type of program? No, or? I don't use anything to manage my pictures uh, like that. I just use simple folders, and uh, that's it. I don't use any kind of uh, software tool to manage them. How do you do it? So you download them from your camera or your iPhone onto a folder? Yeah, I make a directory, and I, I name it what, what the pictures were all about, whether it was a birthday party or a vacation, and... I put the year on it, and simple as that. I mean, I didn't just, even know you could do that. I thought it had to be a special program. No, you just make a directory. So you could call it, you know, uh, C colon backslash photos backslash, and then you create your directories as you wish, um, year after year after year, and they're all broken down that way for you by default. And That's that, interesting. Yeah. I, I didn't know. Okay. So it's a little you old plug school. in your camera. Yeah. What opens up? It'll, it'll, you'll try to browse to the camera. You'll see your D, DCIM, right? The DCIM mm-hmm. directory, and uh, you'll be able to go ahead and copy and paste them over the way you normally would. But you don't have to use a tool to import them. You can just copy them from your, your actual card, your little SD card. You have an SD reader, SD card reader? Yes. Mm-hmm. So take the SD card out of the camera. Don't do it from the camera because if you've listened to the camera shows, you have a problem during that transfer. You can lose everything. Okay. So take the SD card out, put it in the reader, navigate over to it, copy and paste. I had no idea. Well, that well that solves the problem right there. Yeah, just that's its basic uh, directory usage. Okay, great. Thank you so much for that. Love the program. <laughs> Thanks, Sherry. Okay, bye bye. Right, bye bye. Uh, yep, pretty straightforward. It's, but you know, old school stuff. Uh, let's go on to going to go on to Kate in Glastonbury. Hey, Kate. You there, Kate? Good morning. Morning. Uh, we're going to be replacing a. Uh, approximately seven-year-old desktop computer that we've used primarily for our financial records, Quicken, TurboTax, mm-hmm. Bill Pay. In the, in the past, we've used it for some other things, too, mm-hmm. but I know through listening to your program, you recommend, I believe, just using a financial computer exclusively for that and yes. not like surfing or purchasing or yes. things like that. So. Yep. You know, we have a little bit different mindset now than when we purchased this seven years ago. Right. And I want to make sure, like, you know, I think I've picked up that you like to uh, or suggest not backing up that computer to the cloud, but maybe on a local hard drive. I think I've heard you say in the past, when you're not using it, like, shut it off. And Mm -hmm. my uh, one question I have about that is, I mean, literally, like it's totally not connected and off, or just shut down the programs. You can just, so, yeah. just different things that you might think with regard to a fine, you know, an exclusive financial computer. So, depending on the software that you use, a lot of folks are recommending. I mean, I've heard Clark Howard recommended as well. Um, simply using a Chrome-based laptop for your financial work, because a lot of the the systems you're going to connect to are browser-based. Right. So as long as you're not using the laptop for running a local tax program or what have you, if it's all web based, you can get away with a Chromebook or some sort of Chrome based or just a browser based laptop to work with your financial uh, needs. And then the computer, you could just buy a regular computer to do, to do everything else, right? To do your video, you know, your videos, your, your, your picture manipulations, your data, your surfing, whatever you want to do. But just buy a basic financial CPU that way with a Chromebook. And there's no need to back anything up in that case because you're only working on the cloud anyways. Right? Because most of your applications are in the cloud, I suspect. So where would – so 
where would like a copy of my tax return be? So again, if you're doing this on a local computer, then this idea does not work. If you've got the local program, if you're using a web-based tax program, then you would have it all. It's all in the cloud, right? You're going to log into the service and do your updates and changes there. If you have a local tax program, then you're going to have to get a separate real computer um, to do everything as well. The Chromebook is just a neat idea if you're going to be using nothing but web-based financial tools, which a lot of them are these days. Well, when you say that, so, like, I typically have gone out to a store and gotten a physical, uh, you know, computer yeah. disk with the program, and that's how I use it. And I've stayed away from sort of the cloud because I thought then my information was more in jeopardy. So I'm a little confused. I don't blame you. So I, and I'm not trying to make you confused. However, if you, if you think about how you connect to your financial institutions, they're all cloud-based, right? You're connecting to your Correct. bank and the cloud. You're connecting to, let's say it's Fidelity or whatever it might be, Vanguard. Those are all on the cloud, right? Even your, even your financial planners, believe it or not, are doing everything on the cloud, right? So if you can use a tax program that was also cloud-based through the same exact machine that did all your other financial work, It'd be like the perfect tool. Yes, the damage of, of having that cloud impacted is, is a problem, right? Uh, I don't disagree with that. But if you're not going to use the machine for anything else and just use it for your financial work, um, the only risk you have is if you're, if a tax-based program in the cloud gets hit, which they ha- it happens, right? I'm not going to tell you it's not. Uh, it, it's, it could happen, but it's an option. So if you find you're using TurboTax, check to see if they have a cloud-based solution, and now you can do everything on that one Chromebook, right? As an idea. That's just a thought. Now, if you're like, hey, I hate that idea. I just want to get a regular PC. That's fine. You can get a Windows-based PC, operate locally on the Windows computer, load your software like you're saying, and then, yes, back it up to, you know, a a couple of hard drives or a couple of thumb drives uh, that are not on the cloud. That's fine. Um, But a lot of the financial work that's done these days, even by our financial planners, is stuck in the cloud. The sad part is when you bring over your thumb drive full of data, they stick it in their computer, and you could have a bunch of Excel spreadsheets on their laptop that they forgot, right, Um, depending on how sloppy they are as far as moving their data around. But, um, yeah, that's an idea. You know, I've heard it before from other financial folks. Uh, Again, and bring up Clark Howard. uh, I've heard similar things from him as well. Um, I do not do a lot of cloud-based financial work. I don't do it, the whole all of it at all. I'm a set it and forget it kind of guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, I'm not a financial planner. I'm a geek. I'm a regular listener. I listen all the time, and I, I, I just had a sense that you were saying, stay away from the cloud. I know. Sensitive information. I know. And so I was thinking for sure that I'd be getting this I know. You know, local machine and uh, a local little you know, separate hard drive and save it that way. You can though, Kate, you can. But the point is you're doing it for financial. If you think about all the other areas that you connect to your financial institutions, they're all on the cloud, right? Right. So they all have all that data you're bringing into your tax program. (laughs) It's already in the cloud. So if any of them get hit and you're impacted, right? right? So it's like why, if you're going to come with a solution where you're just going to make a, a device designed for your financial work, this could make sense to you. Right, you can still tell. You can still decide. You know what? I like the idea, but I'm going to get a regular computer. Sure, you can do that as well. But with everything going this way, and you're doing it already in the cloud with everything else, you're not you're not using local paper and pencil creating an Excel spreadsheet to manage your funds, are you? No. No, you're connected to some cloud service to get that information updated, right? Correct. So because you've already you're already there, it'd be silly for me to tell you to bring it all down local. 
just to manage your taxes. If you can find a cloud-based tax solution, which I'm not sure if there's one out there. Um, there should be one, but I can go find one for you. And you can even check the, your favorite application. I bet you it exists if your taxes aren't too complicated. Um, it might kill all the birds for you with one device designed just for your financial work. Don't do any other surfing on it. Just have good antivirus on it. Just All you do is turn it off when you're done with it. Yes, turn it off. You can unplug it if you want to, as far as I'm concerned, uh, but only use it for your financial work. It could work for you. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does make sense. I guess I just wasn't anticipating I know. what you were going to say. I know. Sorry. If you're using machine for other stuff, then it's a whole. Then you're. Then it all goes to goes to pot, right? Because now all of a sudden right. the machine's being used for documents and editing videos and pictures, and all of a sudden now we warn you not to use that machine for financial work, and now you're buying a second computer. Right, right. Which is probably the case in this in this case as well. If you go with the idea I just described, you're going to buy a Chromebook right. of some kind for your financial work and a new computer for everything else. Right. Right? right. So that's how I would consider it. Okay. Sorry to confuse you. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for the information. <laughs> All right, Kate. Okay. All right, bye-bye. The more and more I see the financial clients that we deal with, putting everything in the cloud anyways, it's hard, as far as the financial data, to get away from them without... You know, if you can't beat them, join them, kind of thing. But the risk will be on the on the host. We're going to be here till eleven o'clock. Kyle, Dana, Bob, hang on. We have one line open for you or Diana. One line open for you. Eight hundred nine six six WTIC five two two WTIC. This is Computer Talk. We'll be right back. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for twenty-five dollars per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty-five dollars per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.